This is Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity, and we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who have re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I am your host, Laura Lummer, and I am really excited that you are here with me today because we're going to be talking about one of my very favorite things. So what would you do if I told you that I had something that would not only reduce your risk of all causes of breast cancer, but it would also reduce your risk of dying from breast cancer. It would decrease pain from any kind of osteoarthritis and improve the function of your body and the quality of your life. This same thing would reduce your blood pressure and any progression or risk of cardiovascular disease. It would reduce your risk of dementia, improve cognitive function, improve sleep, reduce the risk and the severity of anxiety and depression. It would support weight loss and it would give you more energy and make you stronger. Would you want that? What would you pay for it if it was in a pill? What would you be willing to sacrifice to get this thing? Would you be willing to give 20 or 30 minutes of time out of your day every day to have all of these benefits? You know, when we go through breast cancer, we are so powerless over so many things. I think, quite frankly, that's part of the trauma that we have to recover from when we get to the other side of treatment. A lot of times we struggle with this feeling like we're at the mercy of whatever catastrophe the universe wants to drop on us. And although that's not entirely untrue, there are things we do have the power to control. And if we take control over those things we begin to feel stronger and happier, more confident and more secure. And that helps us to let go of fear and worry and anxiety, a lot of the stressors that come with surviving breast cancer. So what we're going to talk about today is that thing. It's the thing that you have 100% control over. You can do this. You never have to leave your home. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. You have the ability to use this tool to take care of your health, reduce your risk of all types of diseases, and to actually live longer. All you have to do is move your body for 20 to 30 minutes a day. Now, before you shut this off and reach for another podcast, hear me out. I know you've already heard this. I know you've heard how beneficial exercise is, But here we are at the beginning of a new year, the time when health goals are top of mind for many people. So I want to set the record straight when it comes to exercise. Because if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know I'm a huge fan of exercise. And I want you to become a fan too. Because in the words of Dr. Robert Nagorny from his interview with me, exercise is actually therapy. It's really important that we stop thinking of moving our body 
as some kind of drudgery that has to be done in some expensive, trendy gym with a trainer standing over you, yelling to keep pushing you till you're ready to fall over unconscious on the floor. It's just ridiculous. And I hate that people portray exercise like that because I know how much exercise can benefit you and I know what a turnoff it is to constantly see this type of messaging around exercise. Exercise can be fun and social, and I think we need to change our mind about exercise as a society so that we find the fun in it and we reap the benefits from it and we engage and connect with each other socially as a result of it. One of the first myths that I think leads to the frustration around exercise is that you exercise to lose weight. This is a false expectation, ladies. And it leads people to making a commitment to exercise for X amount of time, and then you don't lose the weight you expected to or not enough weight, and so you stop exercising. Now, it's very true that exercise and building lean body mass supports weight loss if you're eating a nutritious diet and your hormones are in check and all of the other things that come into account when you're trying to lose weight are happening. But exercise alone is not an effective weight loss strategy. And that's why anyone in the fitness world will tell you two things. Abs are made in the kitchen, not in the gym, and you cannot outrun a bad diet. If you have a bad diet, no matter how much exercise you do, you are not going to achieve your weight loss goals. So approaching exercise with that mentality is not the right approach. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to help. And it probably is going to work against you having a consistent physical activity program as a part of your life. Now, you as a survivor, depending on what treatments you went through, you may be living with a certain amount of pain. You may have lymphedema. So did I. You may have nerve damage in your hands and feet. So do I. You may experience cording in your arm and tightness across your chest. I get it because so do I. These are not excuses to stop moving your body. These are reasons why moving your body is not optional. It's mandatory. You must do it. Our bodies are these amazing creations. They truly are. The physical human body is absolutely fantastic. It can heal itself. It can adapt and transform according to its environment and its training. And it's designed to survive on as little energy as possible, which means your body likes to be a little bit lazy. It likes to conserve energy and to stay put and be cozy and comfy. And that's cool because I like to be cozy and comfy too. But if you stay in that place for too long, your body does away with all the things that use up extra energy, like muscles and bones. Well, your body's not actually going to do away with your bones and muscles because that would turn you into a jellyfish. But your body won't keep them up in the sense of building them, maintaining your strength and your endurance. Your muscles will shrink and you will lose bone density if you don't get up and do something about it. Now, the majority of us breast cancer survivors are 40 or over. According to the Susan G. Komen Foundation, fewer than 5% of women under 40 are diagnosed with breast cancer, which is one of the reasons why being a young survivor is such a unique experience. But the point is, that sarcopenia, or the loss of lean body mass, begins at age 30. So let's review that again. The majority of breast cancer survivors are 40 or over. We start losing lean body mass at the age of 30. 
After that, we go on to lose an additional 3 to 5% of our lean body mass with each successive decade of life. So by the time you're 50, if you have not been doing regular, weight-bearing, consistent exercise, you have potentially 15% less lean body mass than you did when you were 30. And of course, these are averages. But that's a staggering amount of muscle and bone loss. That's one of the reasons why it's more difficult to lose weight as you age, in addition to the shifts we experience in our hormones. Your body just isn't using as much energy because it doesn't have as much lean mass to maintain. Unless you're exercising regularly to maintain that glorious muscle mass that keeps your skin looking smooth and tight and keeps you functioning independently as long as possible. When you start losing that lean body mass, you start noticing a change in the way your skin looks, especially under your arms, like your skin gets too big for you now and you have what some of my friends call their angel wings, which I think is way too nice of a term for it. But if you take a hold of your forearm or your bicep and it feels like mm, jelly, that's a big indicator that you need to get some muscles going on. And not because it looks better, but because if you're 50 or over and that's how your arms feel, you're on your way to becoming frail. And frailty is not a road you want to go down. As a survivor, when you were going through treatment, you may have also experienced cachexia, which is the scientific term for the wasting away that happens to lean body mass like muscle, but it, it can also include body fat when we're very ill or we're going through something like cancer, HIV, kidney disease. But when you come out on the other side, living, surviving, you can rebuild this. You can regain muscle mass. You can increase your bone density. But if you don't make a focused and concerted effort to do that after cancer treatment, you open yourself up to a whole plethora of complications, potential complications, and future increased risks of disease that I don't want for you. Because I want thriving, energetic happiness for you. I want to see you enjoying life in whatever way that is for you. If it's climbing mountains, walking around the park, dancing, painting, playing with your kids or your grandkids, I want you to have the energy and the clear thinking and the strength of your body to be able to enjoy those things. And one of the most effective ways to do that is by getting in some regular exercise. Now in the second module of my online course, Revivify, it's called Renew, and the focus is on renewing your body after breast cancer treatment. And as I was creating the lessons in that module, of course I had to address the importance of exercise. However, I was concerned that my ladies would not perceive the value of that lesson. I didn't want their eyes to glaze over because they think of exercise as some run-of-the-mill, everybody says that, blah, 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 and then they would just move on to the next lesson. Because I know that exercise is not optional. I'm a personal trainer and a healthy lifestyle coach, for God's sake. I know if you want to feel better, you have to move. So I had to find a way to make that lesson fun and different to help my students shift the perception of exercise. And I want to do that for you too. Without that lesson in my course, I would be doing a disservice to my ladies because physical activity is not only important for all the reasons I just talked about, but it's essential for your mental and emotional health as well. I'll share a little story with you. 
The other day, I was having some new technology installed on my computer, and I was really excited about it because it was going to make my podcast easier to produce and edit, but it was just not working. The implementation was just not going well. The performance that I was expecting from this piece of software was not there, and I may or may not have mentioned this before, but I have no patience when it comes to things like that, and I do mean zero. I like to get in, get it done, move on. So I was extremely frustrated because what was supposed to be a quick installation to make my life easier was making everything more difficult and taking way too much time. So in my frustration, and as I was waiting for another reinstall to complete, I posted something on Facebook about having a bad day. I asked people, is a bad day a real thing or is it just a mindset thing? And if it's a mindset thing, what do you do to get yourself out of that mindset when you find yourself having a bad day? And not surprising to me, everyone who answered and told me what they did to get out of that mindset had some form of physical movement in their solution. They went for a walk, a swim, or a run. They did some kind of breathing exercise, or they took a hot bath, but it all had something to do with physically tending to their body. Now, isn't that interesting? Frustration is in the mind. You have an expectation that doesn't get met, and that upsets you emotionally. That experience is all thought-based. Yet, moving your body, for the majority of people, will relieve that tension from the mental and emotional block. Your body and your mind are so interconnected that when you're feeling fearful, angry, frustrated, or sad, if you move your body, your emotions will shift. Rachel Hollis, an author and motivational speaker who I absolutely love, literally preaches this quote, move your body to change your mind. And she's spot on. Let me give you a little scientific insight about mental wellness and exercise. In a 2018 article in Psychology Today called How Your Mental Health Reaps the Benefits of Exercise, the author Sarah Gingell, PhD, tells us that, and I quote, because it's so good, I want to get exactly how she said this. Exercise is not only necessary for the maintenance of good mental health, but it can be used to treat even chronic mental illness. For example, it is now clear that exercise reduces the likelihood of depression and also maintains mental health as we age. She goes on to say that exercise appears to be as good as existing pharmacological interventions across the range of conditions, such as mild to moderate depression, dementia, anxiety, and it even reduces cognitive issues in schizophrenia. That is some amazing stuff. And I just want to tell you that her article is so good. I would love to just read the whole thing to you, but instead I'm going to post a link to it in the show notes for this episode. So please check it out. It's, you'll find the show notes at lauralummer.com forward slash 70. And it is good, good stuff. Go click that link and read her article. It's awesome. So let's talk for a minute about how exercise does this. How does it have this incredible impact on mental health? A study done by Australia's National Institute of Complementary Medicine at Western Sydney University and the Division of Psychology and Mental Health at the University of Manchester in the UK tells us that the average brain shrinks approximately 5% 
per decade after the age of 40. Does that sound familiar? We're shrinking in our body, we're shrinking in our brain. (laughs) This study looked at 14 different clinical trials. And in those clinical trials, they examined the brains of 737 men and women by scanning them before and after aerobic exercise programs. Now, these men and women ranged from healthy adults to people that had mild cognitive impairments, as well as those people who had a clinical mental diagnosis, including depression and schizophrenia. And what they found is that when you exercise, a chemical that your brain produces called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, actually reduces the deterioration of the brain. So as we just talked about, as your lean body mass shrinks with age, so does your brain. But exercise can prevent or slow that shrinkage for both. And that's pretty cool. Equally as impressive are the results of the study that compare exercise to pharmaceutical interventions. They basically look at exercise versus drugs and which one supports mental health the most. One of these studies was conducted by Duke University psychologist James Blumenthal and some of his colleagues. And it looked at exercise compared to sertraline, which is a drug used to fight depression, and you may have heard of it as Zoloft. In this study, they took 156 people who had been diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, and they put these people into three groups, those who exercised, those who took the drug, and those who did both. So for the exercise group, they had these people either walk, bike, or jog for 30 minutes three times a week. And what they found was that exercise was equally as effective in combating depression as the drug. But here's the really cool part. Out of the 156 men and women in this study, 83 of them were declared free of depression at the end of the four-month time period. But six months later, only 8% of those people who were in the exercise-only group had relapsed with their depression compared to 38% of the medication-only group. And it gets even better because for those study participants that continued to exercise after the study, they had a 50% reduced chance of relapse into depression as compared to those people who did not exercise at all. So we have to get past poo-pooing exercise as a run-of-the-mill recommendation. We have to stop saying, I know, I know I should do that. And we have to move on to say, yes, I need to do that. Let's create a strategy to work it into your life in a way you enjoy. I focus this information on talking about depression because depression is a very common side effect of surviving breast cancer. I call surviving the unspoken phase of breast cancer treatment. Recovery is a time when we feel lost. We just don't know what to do. We feel unsupported and all of that stuff we just went through really starts to percolate and settle in. We begin to process what that insane experience actually felt like and how much it changed us in our perspective of life. I want to share with you a quote from an article published on the Cancer Support Network called Escape from Fear, Life After Treatment. In this article, the author compares treatment to being in prison. And she compares her recovery to escaping from that prison as she tells her story of transitioning back to life. She writes, and this is a quote, It was hard to say the word out loud to my friend. She wanted to know. 
It came out through a whisper and tears. As I said it, it felt like a million tiny knives were stabbing me. Trauma. I think that's what I went through. I couldn't see it when I was there. I was too busy trying to get better, to stay alive, to get out. It's hard to face and admit that word and allow those experiences to be faced. I don't want to seem ungrateful or complaining. Here I am alive, living. I'm happy I got out, but yet I struggle. End quote. That is so heavy, but it's so real. It's your turn now to take aback your power and to have some control over processing that trauma. And you may think it seems too simple, but trust me, exercise plays a powerful role in your recovery. When I finished treatment, I was super excited to get back to exercising because it was just a part of my lifestyle and it's a part of my life I really enjoy. So I remember going back to the gym and leaving feeling so frustrated and so disheartened because my arm was swollen and my hand looked like a little blown up latex glove and I had lost my grip strength because of the nerve damage in my hands. So it was practically, well, it was impossible to hold onto the dumbbells long enough to get an actual workout in. And I tell you this not to discourage you, but because I don't want you to frustrate yourself and give up when you try to begin an exercise program after cancer treatment. I want you to manage your expectations and to take things very slowly and very carefully. Be honest about what you can't do and find what you can do. So I wasn't able to start off with strength training, which bummed me out because I loved it so much. So instead, I started doing other things to try to improve my grip strength. I started using a TRX, which is a suspension trainer, and that is a good way to get weight-bearing exercise in without having to worry about my grip. And I'll post, if you've never heard of a TRX, I'll post a link to my YouTube channel in the show notes. And so you can see what a TRX looks like. I have several different videos of exercises you can do to get some range of motion and strength back after treatment. But anyway, I started to use that and it did help to improve my grip strength. I also got acupuncture on my hands and arms, which helped tremendously with the numbness I was experiencing. It's important to be patient with yourself and listen to your body so you don't get injured or get so sore that you don't want to move again for a week. But that being said, please don't make the mistake of thinking that because you may have mild joint pain or because you're tired or because your hands hurt that you should not exercise or that you can't exercise. As I said earlier, this is why you must exercise. Push yourself because exercise will actually make those things better. If you want to do resistance training, which you absolutely should, I would love for you to check out the Cancer Exercise Training Institute. It's a great resource. It's got some reliable information, lots of great articles, and a listing of certified personal trainers, not just in standard personal training, but people who have gone through the Cancer Exercise Training Institute program in addition to their regular personal training certifications. So it's very specialized And this training helps them to understand the many different kinds of surgeries and treatments we go through as cancer patients so that they can have a little more empathy and understanding of the limitations you may be working with. I have a completely different view 
of physical limitations and a way to progress training for someone who's been through cancer treatment. I would have no idea had I not experienced it myself or gone through some kind of specialized training, how much someone goes through when they're being treated for cancer. So I highly recommend finding someone specialized in that area. Another excellent resource is exercisesmedicine.com. I think I've talked about this program before, but it is a collaboration between the American College of Sports Medicine and Kaiser Permanente. And the website has tons of resources on how you can find groups and support and exercise professionals. Also, most major insurance companies and hospitals now have wellness programs that include physical activity groups, support, information. I know where I was treated, they have yoga classes and integrated wellness professionals that people can work with. So make sure and use that very expensive insurance that you're paying for and check it out to see all the benefits they provide you beyond just going and getting doctor visits and treatments, but to really keep you feeling well. And if you don't have insurance, trust me, with a little Googling, you can find some excellent resources, blogs, and videos online to support you. And you can also find lots of local support groups of people who are looking for people to join their walking group, join their kayaking groups. There's lots of fun stuff out there. So let your fingers do the walking, do some Googling, and find some resources that will help you be more active and have fun with it. So let's talk for a minute about how much exercise is recommended and give you a couple tips to get you going because I want you to be motivated by this information and I want you to take action. Like today, really, take action. So the recommended amount of exercise is either 150 minutes of moderate exercise. Now, keep in mind, my moderate will be different than your moderate based on our different levels of fitness. So think of it like this, on a scale of 1 to 20, moderate exercise will feel like an 11 to 14. So you're exerting yourself a little past what feels like, nah, this is about 50% of what I can do. Some activities that fall under the moderate exercise category are things like brisk walking, that's around 3 miles an hour, dancing, playing tennis, slow bicycling, not cruising, like you have to keep pedaling, but you're pedaling slowly, maybe 10 miles an hour. If you want to exercise vigorously and get this done faster, you can do vigorous exercise for only 75 minutes a week. Vigorous exercise should feel like a 17 to 19 effort on a scale of 1 to 20. So that's pretty intense. And these are things like strenuous hiking, maybe carrying a backpack, race walking, jogging, swimming laps, jumping ropes. So really intense stuff where when you're doing it, you feel like this is, I am literally giving this all I have. And keeping in mind that your all I have is going to be different from somebody else's all I have. So no comparing. You do what works for you. You think about where you're at on the scale for one to 20 because that's your measurement of moderate to vigorous. In addition to this either 150 minutes of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise, it is recommended that you do two days of full body strength training a week. Now, you can use weights for this. You can use exercise bands or straps. You can use a device like the TRX where your body is supplying the weight. 
or you can do any other body weight exercises. There are lots of options here. So be creative and have fun, but build some muscle and Google body weight exercises. You will be amazed at how much exercise you can do with just the weight of your body. But please, please promise me in the name of everything holy, please, unless you actually are physically limited or you're ill to the point where you can't stand, please don't do chair exercises. The point of training your body is to preserve your strength and balance and to get you to sit less. Does that make it harder? Yes. And that's the point. It's called the principle of overload. You push your body to do a little more than feels comfortable to help to get it into better condition. Now, if you are unable to stand, then by all means, do chair exercises. Don't feel bad about that. Go with it. It's awesome that you're keeping your body moving. But if you are capable of standing, don't let me catch you sitting in a chair trying to exercise. Okay, so moving on. How do you do this? If you're not already exercising, getting started is the toughest part. So you have to set up a system. You have to have a routine, a system, and cues to support you to take the time to make this happen. So in this instance, I'm going to give you permission. Actually, I was going to say sit down and do a plan, but why sit? Stand at your counter. Stay standing and actually write out a plan for yourself. How are you going to make this happen? Where and when are you going to exercise? And then put your tennis shoes and your workout clothes on the bathroom counter or in your car or on your dresser or by the front door, wherever it is that they're going to trigger you to use them. Wherever it is you're going to see them to be reminded, hey, I need to do this. Make a point of sitting less. This will get you started. You can stand at your desk if you're at work. You can make an agreement with yourself that you will only sit during certain times of the day. Let's say your show is on at a certain time. Well, if that's not in your window of sitting down, stand up and watch your TV show. Look at sitting the same way you would look at eating if you were doing intermittent fasting. So we're going to call this intermittent sitting. When you start walking toward that couch, catch yourself and say, nope, nope, this is not my sitting window of time. So I better figure out something to keep me moving. Guess you'll have to walk around the block again or stand there and do squats while you stare longingly at that cozy little spot that you're going to cuddle up in right there on the couch when your sitting window is open. You may laugh and think that's a silly strategy, but trust me, it works. Keeping yourself standing more is going to get you moving more because, come on, who just stands there? We don't just stand there. If you're standing, you feel like you have to do something, so you keep moving. Okay, well, I could talk about this all day because I love this topic and I want to come up with every motivational tip I can think of to get you moving. But I have to wrap this up. So I would like to know what your challenges are with starting a regular exercise routine. I would love to help you move forward with moving your body on a regular basis and finding a joyful way to do it. So please come to Facebook and find the Breast Cancer Recovery Group. Join that group. It's a free group and we can all have a discussion and answer questions or address concerns and support each other in recovering from breast cancer treatment and strengthening your body 
and moving forward into thriving lives. You can also go to my website, lauralummer.com, where you can download my free guide, Care, Four Steps to Healing After Breast Cancer. Now, this is a guide with four foundational steps to wellness, both mental and physical wellness. And one of those steps, the E in care, stands for exercise. So in that guide, you will get some information and some resources to support you in getting started and having fun moving your body. So I hope you go download that, read it, use it, take advantage of those resources. Now, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, remember to hit that button wherever you listen, subscribe, and if you can take a moment to just write even just a sentence or two of an honest review for the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach podcast, it just does absolute wonders for the show and makes it easier for other people to find it as well. So I thank you for listening. Find me on Facebook. Laura Lummer, find me on Instagram as the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I would love, love, love to hear from you and I will answer your questions. So get up, get moving, sit less, and I'll talk to you again next week. Voices in your head, you've put your courage to the test, laid all your doubts to rest. Your mind is clearer than before, your heart is full and wanting more, your future's at the door. Give it all you got, no hesitating, you've been waiting all your life. This is your moment.